So he told you my name's Wes. A um, little bit about me, just real quick, is um, I'm a kid that was born with a cleft lip and a cleft mouth. I went to speech therapy classes, and my toughest letters are W's and S's, and my parents named me Wes. <laughs> like, growing up, hardest part of every conversation was the beginning. They're like, what's your name? And I'm like, we'll start with you. What's your name? I'd like to know more about you. But every one of us have something about ourselves that we wish we could change that actually is God's signature on the gospel being good news to other people through our lives. I'm just telling you. There is something about you that you would change. But if you changed it, how would people ever see God's grace? I mean, so uh, I'm married. I uh, married a third grade school teacher. Not mine, but... <laughs> My wife, I mean, she just feels so called to love kids. Uh, she teaches in our public schools. Uh, most of her kids are military kids that she gets. And uh, we've been married this year 29 years. We've got five kids. Uh, I, I used to say we had three, but two got married. And if I don't count them, they get real upset because they call me dad. And uh, then we have, uh, we've got two grandkids. And uh, my favorite part of the entire week, every week, is Sunday at 2 o'clock because that's family dinner. And we got some big stuff to celebrate. I FaceTimed in. My nephew, who's a part of our church, youth pastor, got engaged yesterday. And last week, Kinsley learned to walk for the first time. <laughs> big week. It's a big week. It's a big week. It's a big week. And uh, you did hear, uh, I'm from Seattle. Um, I was a youth pastor back in the day. Our senior pastor said, hey, start a church for people who aren't going to church. And so we found out that the people not going to church were not going to church on purpose. <laughs> Wasn't accidental. They were designing. Every Sunday, they were like, I know what I'm not doing today. I'm not going to church. And so we started a church. People who didn't go to church. And uh, so we've been now over 20 years and uh, just seeing God's grace and his goodness. And I'll just tell you, God loves people. And if that gets into your heart, I mean... God loves people. And I just, I don't understand why we spend so much time trying to get away from the very people Jesus came to reach. I want to talk about that today. And so um, I hope, I mean, if I offend you, I mean, I'm, I'm the what, crazy uncle, right? Right? There should be one or two times. People from Seattle are like, you're going where? Well, I'm going to Texas. They're like, should you? I'm like, I'm going to fit right in. <laughs> Don't do it. Did you bring your passport? And so, <laughs> so we're going to jump right into something that Jesus said, okay? You guys cool with that? Yeah. Okay, so Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And I, I, honestly, I'm just, I got one scripture. That's really all I got. I want to stay on it. I want to drill on it. I want to get it to where it's like it becomes part of us. And so in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus had been doing ministry. He, 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 if you want to know the teachings of Christ, Matthew 5 through 7 is Sermon on the Mount, greatest stuff. It really, so much of stuff we talk about in culture is right there. I mean, salt of the earth, light of the world. You hear people say, you know, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, uh, you know, doing to others that happen doing to you. I mean, it's all there. Jesus said it. He's pretty good. Uh, so he, he's taught his disciples. He's now taking them on mission. 
Can I just tell you something? There's something there. It's not good for us to get teaching and then not go on mission. We're like, we just, this is so good. Feed me some more. And it's like, well, what did you do last week? Like, nothing. But like, I would like some more, really. And then it's like, could you just go deeper? How is deeper not doing? Didn't, isn't there something about that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he says that the wise builder, foolish builder, and like, they both got the word. One did something with it. May we today do something with what the Spirit of God says to us, right? Okay, Matthew 9, 36 says, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless. Who has felt like that in the last three years? I, I, I have. I have. A lot. Like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, can you guys say this part with me? The harvest is great, but the workers are So pray to the Lord, who's in charge of the harvest, and ask him to send more workers more workers into his field. The harvest is, but the workers are. I've got to be honest. I spent some time with this scripture right here, and I've just, after the last three years, I, I, I don't know if how you pray, but when I'm praying, sometimes I'm not like agreeing with God. Everyone's agreeing. They're just like, oh, it's good. I'm just like, I disagree. It, I disagree. It feels like the harvest is not great. I'm God, do you know I'm in Seattle? <laughs> and two, I met two Christians on the way to the airport. We're up to nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on one hand, I mean, let's think about this. Jesus believes that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And then West and COVID, I didn't know, literally, like, you're like, what, what happened to the church? Where'd they go? I didn't, I, you know, was there a rapture? My wife's still here, so that's not it. <laughs> like, what, what happened? And so West and COVID starts to believe this. The harvest is not great. It's not great. And it's interesting to me, I think we got a lot of Christians, but not a lot of workers. I mean, think about that. I mean, we're still a nation that the majority of people would call themselves a self identity all the stats still, and I get the numbers going down, but still the majority of Americans call themselves Christian. So we got lots of Christians, not a lot of workers. And in this message, I believe that Jesus in the last three years is trying to get me to agree with him. That the harvest is great and that I will be one of the workers in this field. And my hope and invitation is that the Spirit of God would speak to you and say that the harvest is great around you. And he's calling you to be a worker in his field. Now, when we read scriptures, often, I don't know if you read scriptures, there's a lot of uh, examples that are what we call agrarian. Uh, there, you, you read about people in a farm and people who are, you know, like they they have sheep. I, I don't know when's the last time. Are there anybody here a shepherd? 
like in Seattle, not a lot of shepherds. Not a lot of, you know. Now, New Zealand, lots of, lots of shepherds. There's actually, there's more sheep than people. They don't even know how many sheep they are. The guy counting keeps falling asleep. But... Like, literally, like, some of you, that was your shot. That was it. There's no more shots if you miss that one. That was it. Jesus grew up in a town called Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. Actually, for a season, they were, actually, they moved out of country, came back in. Interesting. He grew up in a town called, in Nazareth, I mean, depending on who you read, it's like, it's a village. It's like 400 people. Anybody here from small town? Anybody small town? Yeah. Jesus was from a small town. He's from a small town. And Nazareth is in the north, and so it's really kind of too far from Jerusalem to be important. And also, it's actually a newer city. So the prophets don't even mention, when you read the Old Testament, you're like, where's Nazareth? Where's Nazareth? They don't mention Nazareth, so it's not cool or classic. In fact, some might say, could anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, that's why they'd say that. So you never wanted to be like, yeah, I'm from Nazareth. People are like, where? You'd just be like, I'm from Houston. Because <laughs> I'm from Seattle, which is like Austin. They ain't needing any help keeping that place weird, right? They're doing great on their own. And, and so Jesus, being from Nazareth, had a, really, had a heart for the small town. So Paul would go to the big cities, but Jesus was in the villages. All right, don't be afraid to be in the villages. Don't be afraid to be in the small towns. And so he, he was comfortable in the small towns, and he's doing ministry here, where? Villages, small towns. And he's using examples that they would be familiar with, because if you're from small town and you're from like Nazareth or a place like that, you, everyone there is either a shepherd or a farmer or they know one. But what's interesting and what you may not know, I don't even been to Nazareth. I got a chance to go a few years ago. I, yeah, I really did. And Nazareth is actually next to a major international highway back in that day. So it's called the Via Maris. And it would have connected really the Far East, all the way through, like China to Egypt. So think about this. Jesus would have saw the world traveling through his backyard. Some, some of the, his ability to connect with very diverse people. If something happened in COVID, and for at least Washington was this, is people pretty much just huddled up with everyone who already thought what they thought. And if you thought different, looked different, had a different story, you were outside of that group. But Jesus had this ability to just connect across the lines that we draw. I like what one author says, God doesn't draw lines between us and them. He draws the line down the center of every human being. So Jesus is doing this ministry in these small towns, and he notices that the people there, they're just, they need hope. Now, I want you to think about this. You know, because like, I get, like, I'm in Texas. Like, people go to church here, right? Do they? I think, or I saw some, I saw some churches. They're like, that's big. Like, our church could fit inside of that church's bathroom. <laughs> and, and, and you understand, 
Jesus is doing ministry and he's saying the harvest is great. He is in the epicenter of religion. Like, like you could be in the very center of the most religious group and still the harvest is great. There's that many people who don't know the heart of God, have not experienced the love of God, the transforming power of the spirit of God. It's there that Jesus says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. I mean, there's so many people who could quote the Old Testament, but they're not willing to be a worker. And I keep asking this question is, why aren't there more workers? The harvest is great. Now, one of the things you'll find is this, wherever there is need, there's going to be a harvest. So you're like, oh, how would I know if the harvest is great where I live? You know, Jesus using this metaphor of a harvest to show that people are hungry for God, for a real encounter with God. And so he's, well, where is their hurt? Where are their needs? You know, uh, I, I went, um, I remember um, being in school, I was in fifth grade and writing on my paper, 1980. Some of you are like, I wasn't even born in 1980. I, I, I never even wrote the number one. The president in 1980 in the United States was Ronald Reagan. Yeah, my people. They're like, where's that? Where's our class for the empty nesters? My last kid's moving out in a month. They all upstairs to downstairs to goodbye. I hear they come back, though. 1980, uh, I remember writing that. Uh, Ronald Reagan was president. In fact, I remember his statement of it's morning in America. And in that time, statistically, one in five Americans were lonely. Do you know what that number is now? It's just about half. That means that if you're not lonely, the person next to you probably is. I'm not saying it's because of you. <laughs> but statistically, half the people in this room feel alone. And do you know who the top Statistically, I just looked it up this week. The top two groups that feel the most alone in America today. Number one, young adults. Number two, moms. Like what if as a church we're just great at connecting, loving young adults and making sure moms don't feel alone? The harvest is great. The workers are few. Jesus says, we need more workers. And I keep asking, like, why don't we have more? What, I just wrote down some reasons that I think, and then there's one that I think God thinks, okay? So I've got, these are the four I think, and then I learned the one that Jesus thinks, okay? So I don't know if you want to write these down, but you'll have to cross them out later. The first one, I think, I think one of the reasons why we don't have more workers is because Christians are moving away from non-Christians. Okay, so like, one of the things that happened in Washington, I don't know Texas, I'm not from Texas. You're like, really, I figured it out. I'm like, I don't drive a truck. Like, do you guys, have you guys even heard of EVs? Anyways, huh? like you guys would sell so much gas. So, so in Washington, 
All right, if I asked our church, and I did, I asked our church this question, are more people moving to Washington or moving away? The church would say, away. Are more people moving to Seattle or away? Isn't it interesting that we don't have enough houses in Seattle? I read an article just last week about that, that, that surprisingly Seattle's population is booming. It's, the people who think everyone's moving away are the who? Christians, because their friends are moving away. Now, all of us are going to move. Uh, you're going to move at some point. You'll, you'll move either, you know, different city, different state. Uh, you're going to move. You're going to move. You're going to have. You're going to have several moves in your life at some point, and we move for different reasons. And a lot of those reasons are really good. But I, moving away from people who don't think like you is that the reason? Like, think about this. God put on a human body to be around us, but we aren't wanting to be around people who don't think like us that need Jesus. Do you get how the harvest is great, but the workers are? Phew! Last, last year, U.S. World News Report does a rankings, top 50 states to live in. Okay, now, they should have put Texas at the top. They screwed up. But I think they had you guys in top nations. Okay, so they rank them across like eight or nine categories. Last year, U.S. World News Report, they do the rankings for colleges, they do the rankings for cars, best state... Where did they rank Washington? One, second year in a row. And the Christians are leaving. The harvest is great, but the workers are, we are trying to get away from, I'm telling you, people come to me like, Pastor, would you pray? And I'm like, why? And like, there's so many non-Christians at my job. And you're just like, Praise the Lord. Yeah, I'll pray. God, thank you for placing them there. <laughs> God, we give you glory for that. We thank you for this great opportunity. May, like, do you, is it interesting? Do you get? All right, that was my first reason. You want to hear my second? Okay. My second reason is that Christians don't want to talk about their faith to non-Christians. Okay, so you ever read something on the internet and you're like, that can't be true, right? That can't be true. I, I mean, even if Google says it, you're like, I still, I don't even know how to Google check Google, but I don't think it's true. <laughs> so I read this. I don't know if you got that, that article. Can you pull it up? But um, it said that 47% of millennials believe evangelism's wrong. So my first question is like, what's a millennial? So, like, if you remember phones with cords, you're, you're not a millennial, right? You're just not, okay? Right? And, and, and so, I mean, I was, so the, the study actually looks at millennials, Xers, that's my generation. We were yeah, left alone at home. <laughs> Boomers, right? And then builders, greatest generation, right? And it was all of their viewpoints of evangelism, of sharing, of sharing the gospel with somebody else that's not a Christian. And it was interesting is the, the, the builders actually, they thought that the experts needed to do it, that they weren't the professionals, like the Billy Grahams. So evangelism was done by the experts, not them. Boomers thought that evangelism 
was actually apologetics. So let me show you what we believe and how it's right, and then you'll agree. Xers thought they were really good at it, which means they're terrible at it. And it was interesting, as millennials wondered, should we be doing this? Christian millennials. So what's the impact of about half of a generation wondering if evangelism's wrong? Now, I will agree, um, it, we've got to be doing it wrong, huh? If, if a generation, if half of a generation thinks it's wrong, we've got to be doing it wrong, right? Right? Because when I talk to Christians, no one, like, wants to do evangelism. And my non-Christian friends, they don't want it done to them. It, it really, in a lot of ways, evangelism is like a colonoscopy. <laughs> like, no one wakes up happy. They're not like, this is going to be a great day. I can't wait. This is going to be a great day. This is why I became a doctor. I mean, you just, by the way, if you don't know what a colonoscopy is, you're a millennial. I went to college. I went to Bible college. And they actually taught us. We had a class called evangelism. And to pass the class, you had to share your faith with somebody who's not a Christian. Now, most of the people, at least at the Bible college, said they were, so we had to go off the college. And I went to the park one night, and I was just looking around. And I was just trying to find, like, how do you find these non-Christians? Where are they, you know? Other than Starbucks. And so... <laughs> and I, I found one was sitting on a bench at the park, so I went and I sat next to him. And we learned in class a script. So, by the way, let me just say this. I, I'm glad I learned the script because I memorized so much of Scripture. You all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life Jesus Christ. Life. Confess your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead to be saved. I mean, we just go on and on if you want, Romans Road, right? And so I learned all this stuff, right? I learned my script. And then you had like, this is what you say, then they're going to say this, and then you say this back, and then they say this, but then you say that, and then they're like, you know, right? You win. <laughs> so I sit next to this dude. And of course, like, if you're a stranger and somebody comes to sit next to you at a park, <laughs> you're like, am I getting a colonoscopy? <laughs> this is going down right now. So I, I said what we were supposed to, I said, I, I, I didn't know how to break into it. They didn't teach us icebreakers. I said, look, I have an assignment in my class that I have to do to pass. Can I do this to you? <laughs> so I said, if you were to die tonight, you were to stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? <laughs> this is when I learned non-Christians don't know their lines. They, they, they are terrible with their lines. I told them, that's not what you're supposed to say. You don't say that. That's not how this goes. We've got to be doing it wrong. I mean, if, if half of a generation of Christians don't think we should be doing this, we've got to be doing this wrong, you guys. So that's one of my reasons. Want to hear another one? Christians do not feel called. You're like, I don't know, I just don't, I don't feel called. You're like, well, are you, and I think, I don't think it's your fault. And if I step on some toes here, I'm from Seattle, I'm Uncle Wes. 
I'm an Xer. We were abandoned. No, I, I, think, I think we've set up two classes of Christians. There's like you guys, and then there's us guys. Reverend, doctor, pastor, Uncle Wes. And we, we set up two classes. Now, if you want to call me Pastor Wes and you come from a culture of like, hey, honor, and we've got to honor people, do it. People call me Pastor Wes. Most of the people at our church call me Wes. I'm not offended. It is my name. <laughs> is it, I want you to think about the irony of this. You get that we got to call Jesus by his first name. We've set up two classes of Christians. The pastors are called, and then we just like, I don't know. We just like, we support what you're doing. Do some good stuff. If you don't, I'm going to go somewhere else that's got better stuff than the stuff that you got. No, no. Like, you get Jesus went and got fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. I don't even know. Is that a job? And he took them on a mission. And he thought that all of them, all of them were called. You get the word church. The word church in the Greek, two Greek words smushed together, is called out ones. You can't even be a Christian and not be called. When the Spirit called you to come to the cross, you were called. When you, when you came to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you were called. When you, when you asked God to rescue and save you, you were called. You are called by God to share the good news of Jesus to this world. That's us. That's our team. The same spirit. Like, well, I don't know if we got as much Holy Spirit as... No. The same spirit, not in me, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. you. Do you get? Jesus said the harvest is great. The workers are few. Oh, I just don't know if I'm called. Don't know if I'm called. Average age of pastors in America today is 57. Highest it's ever been. Like, I'm 51, I'm a babe, a child, <laughs> a tie. The, 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 the number of young pastors is at an all-time low. And people are concerned. And I'm not unconcerned, but I'm wondering, is this the new wine that God's pouring out? Where every one of you believe you're called, and you're like, I'm a pastor too. My wife believes she's called. And what I love is our church doesn't pay her, our school district does. And she's a shepherd to those kids. Like, like, like this is what God's trying to do, is to get all of his people to believe that they have the Spirit of God inside of them. They're called to, to just to, to love and give hope to the people who are hurting and confused. Okay, I'll give you Romans 10. We love the one where it says, 
We love the one that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. That's verse 9. But if you keep reading, it says what? That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if you keep reading, it says, how will they believe if they've not heard? And how will they hear if someone is not sent? All right, you guys want to hear one more? Some of you didn't even answer. Like, I don't know, that was enough for me. This one's going to get me in trouble. I may not make it back to Seattle on this one. But Seattle needs to hear this one too, okay? Reason number four, Christians are talking about the wrong stuff. 49% of pastors say what they hear their people talking about are conspiracy theories. This is what Christians talk about. Like, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about Jesus the, the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God, the whole, no. We're talking about what? Well, in my church, you go to a Bible study in the last three years with Christians who aren't feeling real good. I'm just telling you, their pastors are not feeling real good either. And we're talking about masks, stolen elections, vaccines, and maybe the earth is flat. Now, listen, if you, listen, there's Uncle Wes talking here. Like, I get, if you're here and you hold a different belief than me on something, like, that's, like, Jesus is what brings us together, right? We're not asking everyone to think what I think on something. But if we're spending our time, and that's what we're talking and we're spun up about, can you see why Jesus might say that the heart, then, watch you hear this, in, in the first century, what were the top three subjects? So if you came across a religious person, they were talking about one of three things. Circumcision, dietary law, and Sabbath keeping. Some of you are like, I don't know what any of that stuff is. If Jesus came to our small groups, into our churches, into our circles of Christians, would he be like, man, you guys are talking about great stuff. I have a friend from, I, uh, from I almost said Idaho. I do have a friend from Idaho, but I have a friend from India, which is a little bit different than Idaho. <laughs> He's a pastor from India, and uh, he came out to visit me, and I said, listen, I've got to give you a heads up, Chaitanya. You're going to come, and you're going to be surprised. A lot of Christians feel persecuted right now in America. And he thought I was kidding, because you, you can see I do a little bit of humor, you can see as a little kid probably using it as a defense for some of the issues that I had growing up. And uh, I said a lot of Christians feel, you, you just got to be prepared for this. So, so I pick him up at the airport. We stop off at Chick-fil-A, which, praise God for that. And <laughs> we're at Chick-fil-A, and we're talking, and a dude, random dude, walks over. And my friend's from India. You could tell. He's not like Indian, like, but lives like, no, like, you're like, you ain't from America. And he comes over and he says, listen, you got to know. And he says it to him, Christians, and he says, we're being persecuted. Now, there's a list every year that, that actually uh, Open Doors is an organization that prints a list of the top 50 most persecuted countries. America was number, we're not on the list. We're not on the list. Like, I get we might feel like we lost some power. We're not on the list. Our pastors get tax benefits. Chaitanya is like, are you kidding? Like, like, and you get 
Where the gospel spreads the fastest seems to be the places where they actually are persecuted. Right now, the gospel, where is it spreading the fastest? Iran. And who's leading the charge? The millennials. May God raise up a generation of millennials filled with the Spirit of God. New wine being poured out. Old wineskins have bursted. Lead us into the future. I don't know what it looks like. Lead us into the future. So those were my, those were my reasons, um, but Jesus had a different reason. <laughs> Jesus actually said what? It says that when he saw the crowds, go back, do you have that scripture again? It says Jesus saw the crowds. He had what? What does it say there? He had compassion. So circle that word. And I always like to look up where it saw like, well, what's, like, what, what is that word in the Greek? And so I'm not kidding you. This is, I don't know if you have that slide. This is the word for compassion in the Greek. It is the word, do you have it there? Splotch ni zomai. Splotch ni, say it. Splotch ni and, and look at what it means. To have the bowels yearn. Man, I'll tell you what. My bowels are burned. <laughs> yeah, so in our culture, these are cultural differences. Our culture, if I really lo love somebody, I just love them so much. I don't, got some single people in the place? Yeah, okay. You, I ain't saying woo. <laughs> Oh, we, we, we might say, I love you with all my But there you wouldn't say heart. I love you from the bowels. Which would change Valentine's Day. Did you give me a chocolate heart? No, I did not. But you're going to really remember this Valentine's. Be mine. This, this, we got a lot, I, I have all these reasons, but Jesus like, those aren't the real reasons. You have those reasons, Was Here's the reason. Compassion is what moves people on the mission with Jesus. It's when your heart gets broken and you feel it so deeply. I was trying to think about it, and I, I, I got to start to land this message, I get it. But, you know, wrap this thing, well, how long are you guys preaching this? Yeah, we don't, we don't, we get like four minutes, so I'm like, <laughs> I heard you guys go longer. And so, like, what moves people? And it actually, it's actually the compassion of Christ. It's the compassion of God that fills your heart. It moves you. And it moves you past the lines that our culture draws. You stop asking, are you in or out? Do you believe what I believe? Do you have the same? You just don't. You just, I don't know why. You just, I, I, think, I think everyone who really loves Jesus, even if you've been a little spun up like me the last few years, the pa compassion of God gets you moving in the right direction. Um, how, do, how, do we, how do we increase the, our capacity for compassion? I think one of the things we got to do is we got to get closer to the pain. COVID kind of separated us. We've got to start to move. We need to start to move towards the pain. Move towards the pain. I was a, I was a junior in high school, and I thought it was pretty cool. I was just like, I just play basketball, and I think I'm really cool. And I was on a mission trip, and there was like eight of us. And the youth pastor is like, it was in England, London. He's like, hey, we're going to a big thing, but I can only take four of you, and four of you have to stay and do a kid's thing. And I was like, that's not going to be me. And then he picked four people, and he didn't pick me, which I thought he made a mistake. So I went and corrected him, but then he told me I didn't pick you. <laughs> so, all right, so I had to deal with that. 
So I, I rallied, and um, I didn't see myself as a kids person, and I decided I'm gonna like I'm gonna get into this. And so uh, I show up to a room that's about maybe half this size, and uh, we're putting on a kids thing that night for children. Uh, we're getting dropped off, and the other people are going to the rally. And so people are dropping off their kids, and we're playing keep away with a Nerf ball. You guys know what a Nerf ball is? And so we're throwing the ball around to each other, and kids, we're playing keep away just like they do in heaven. And you know, you're throwing the ball and kids are chasing you. And we hit a point where this little boy comes in and he's a, he's, a, he's a foster kid coming in with a family that's been working really hard but probably needs a break. And they drop off this boy. And this boy is like, seriously, I didn't know what demon possessed was, but if there, that could, maybe, him. He's screaming. Even the people who were good with kids were scared of him. I didn't even get close. So he went and stood in the corner of the room from everybody. So we're playing keep away, and he's watching the corner of the room. And there's this moment where I do a, a fake throw to my friend and put it under the arm and do a wheel out like Russell Wilson. What a jerk. And, <laughs> and I wheel out. And as I'm wheeling out, I'm coming by this kid. I didn't realize it just took me that way. And I look over, and all the kids are chasing my friend. And I don't know why I did this, but I took the ball out, and I flip it to this kid. The kid takes the ball and puts it behind his back. We are running around. And all of these kids are chasing him. The demon-possessed boy has the ball. Comes the moment. We're going to get started. Lady comes in. She goes, hey, we're going to take everybody's picture. Come on up here. We're going to take everybody. So we all sit down. The kids come to pile on top of us to get ready to say, take our picture. As they get ready to take our picture, kid from the demon-possessed boy from the corner of the room starts to slowly walk over like a movie. And he comes, and he sits on my lap. And when they said, say cheese, he took out the ball. <laughs> and the rest of that time, like, this kid just came alive. And, you know, like, he wasn't, like, perfect, but he was a kid. And we did the whole message of the gospel and explained that God made you. God made you. And you were made to have a relationship with God. And you're not born to be alone or separated from him. And here's what God did in Jesus in the message of the cross where he dies for our sins. To bring us closer back into relationship with God. And if we would receive that grace. And at the end we said, who wants to receive that? And we asked you to raise your hand. And we said, every head bow, every eye closed. But you can peek if you care about somebody. Is what I tell myself. <laughs> and this little boy raised his hand. And that night, yeah, praise God, all the kids get taken, and he's the last one to go. And this family, I mean, foster care, like, I don't know if you guys do foster care here. Those are like heaven's champions, right? Heaven's champions. And this boy ends up being picked up. And he starts to head out. And I remember going out and a bunch of us, because you you're not supposed to have favorites, but everyone does with Luke. And so <laughs> we're standing on the porch of the church. And this, we just love this boy. And he's being taken out. And he's crying the same way he was crying coming in. But this time he was saying, I don't want to leave. And I remember on that porch, hearing the Spirit of God speak to me, that was my calling. Not to be a pastor to be on the mission. In my life, I've had different times. 
where I've drifted into this religious world of just doing stuff but not being on mission. But man, the Spirit of God and the stories that happen when I just join Jesus and just being and listening to people's stories. Listen, here's what stories do. Stories, by the way, if you have a problem and you go to your parents, don't bring your problem to your parents because they'll either, one, have parent guilt. This is my problem. Okay? Two, or fix you. Try to fix you, and that never works. But if you say to your parents, have you ever experienced like a story where you went through something like, when they tell a story, it'll shift on the hemispheres of their brain where they're going to be connecting from. And it moves it to empathy. Our whole nation needs to flip to empathy. And what happens when we hear somebody else's story, it gets our hearts open compassion from the bowels. And it gets their hearts open. And our hearts connect and the Spirit speaks. I just want to pray for you, but here's what I want to do. I believe God's sending us out to be on the mission this week. I think that around you is going to be somebody that's hurting and needs some hope. And it might not be that you sit down and say, if you were to die tonight, you're very... no one here is being sent to do colonoscopies. Unless you're a doctor, please do them. Do them well. <laughs> it might be playing Nerf ball. You get, like, Jesus was eating and drinking with those called gluttons and sinners. Like, all of the people the religious were, were, were avoiding are the very people Jesus came to be with. He is calling you to join him this week. Join him this week on this mission. You have teammates and believe that this week there might be somebody whose heart feels lonely and gets filled with hope. And says, how, and you can share what God's done in you, which will help their faith, and it'll help yours.